Good morning, church. I bring you greetings from Pretoria West. It's a joy to be here with you this morning. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to look at the first 11 verses. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 11. It reads as follows. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came. And we're ministering to him. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the title of my sermon this morning is Jesus, our triumphant Savior. Jesus, our triumphant Savior. Now, before we get into our sermon, I want to deal with three questions that are key in our understanding of this text and this lesson. So I want to answer three questions. What is fasting? What is temptation, and who was tempting Jesus? Was it the devil, or was it the Holy Spirit? Now, what is fasting? A biblical definition of fasting is a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. And so there's three key ideas here. First, it is Christian, it is voluntary, and it's for spiritual purposes. Now, Martin Lloyd-Jones has a broader definition, and I also accept this. He says, to make the matter complete, we should add that fasting, if we conceive of it truly, must not only be confined to the question of food and drink. Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some spiritual purpose. So if you think about fasting as this broader definition that Martin Lloyd-Jones gives us, you know, he says, when we fast for the sake of a spiritual purpose, we can include things such as TV, Netflix, the internet, games, leisure, and so forth. Now, let's look at our next question. What is temptation? I like this definition by 
Dr. Michael Milton, he says, temptation is the intentional enticement of a person by some bait to disobey God's revealed word. You see, so temptation always comes in the form of questioning whether God has said something. You remember in, in the garden, what was the temptation to Eve? Did God say? Did God really say? Now, who was tempting Jesus? Was it the Holy Spirit or was it the devil? Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. So that's what our passage says. In other words, God ordained the temptation of Jesus, but the devil was the agent or the tempter, as our text puts it. And so it's important to realize that from James chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, it says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. Now, brethren, let me state the focus of our sermon this morning. I want us to see three defenses that Jesus used to overcome the temptations of the devil so that we can be ever confident in him and imitate his example when we are tempted. So that's the focus for our sermon this morning. Three Bible-sourced defenses that our Lord Jesus Christ used when he was tempted so that we can imitate him and also be ever confident in him as a triumphant savior. Now, let's find our first method of defense. Look at verse 1 to verse 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, change these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, brethren, if you pay attention to verse 3, you see that the devil is using these words, if you are the son of God. You see, the devil is saying this in the backdrop of the baptism of Jesus. He's saying this in the backdrop of God declaring to Jesus Christ that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You see, Jesus stood before John to be baptized as a way of being set apart for his priestly service. Jesus stood before John as one who's making proclamations to save sinners. You see, God then responds to this baptism of Jesus with these precious words. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, the devil wants to cast down on the identity, the ability, and the credibility of Jesus Christ. The devil is saying, hmm, are you the son of God? For real? Do you think you can succeed where others failed? Adam tried and he failed. Israel tried and they failed. Are you the one who will fulfill the desires of the Father? The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. 
Well, what exactly then is this temptation? See, in order to understand what exactly this temptation is, we need to ask this question. What was the purpose of the fasting of Jesus in the wilderness? See, Matthew does not tell us, but the parallel account in Deuteronomy chapter 8 tells us this. See, it tells us that Jesus was the new and better Israel. And so Jesus goes into this wilderness to show that he is the new and better Israel. That Israel was in the wilderness, then he also will go in the wilderness. See, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 to 3, it says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 nights. And then the passage also says, That he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, the fasting of Jesus was necessary to showcase his humility and to expose what was in his heart, which is his desire to serve God. See, another author has written this about fasting, Richard Foster. He says, more than any other single discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside with food and other good things, but in fasting, these these things surface. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. If anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, or fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. It says, at first we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. Then we know that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. You see, in other words, when we are fasting, what is within us, the sin that is within us will be revealed. You know, when you're fasting and then you get edgy and then you say, oh, it's because, it's because I haven't had a, a meal, I haven't had breakfast. You see, since we know the purpose of Jesus in the wilderness, since we know that he was there in the wilderness to showcase what was in his heart, to showcase his humility, then we see that the first temptation is not particularly about food and eating but it's about casting doubt on the goodness of God. Listen to this passage again. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Brothers and sisters, the devil was saying to Jesus, What? The Son of God hungry? Why? To showcase your humility and to display your total dependence upon the Father and the Holy Spirit? Shame, man. Why is God doing this to you? God wants to humble you? Exalt yourself at once. Is it right that God should subject the Son of God to such limitations? Isn't this what the devil was saying? In the garden? Is it right that God should subject you to such restrictions? Come on, God is trying to deny you the good stuff. So the devil does the same to Jesus. He says, Hey, Jesus, are you the Son of God? Why are you fasting then? 
Where is your glory? Where is your pomp? Where is your splendor? Where is your majesty? Why does your father subject you to such pathetic and humiliating activities? Fasting for the son of God? Why must you rely on him? Jesus, you deserve better than this. Come on, reveal your power at once. Turn these stones into bread and show everyone who's boss. See, the temptation is to doubt the goodness of God. And this is where the danger is. You see, the temptation, in short, is this. The demands of God are unfair. You cannot be subjected to this. Come on, the son of God. The devil was tempting Jesus to take matters in his own hands. He says, take a shortcut to glory. You deserve better than this. Reveal your power at once. Turn these stones into bread and show everyone who's in charge. Reveal your glory at once. Take a shortcut to glory. Do it, Jesus. I know you can. You see the tricks of the devil? He goes for your weaknesses. And then he uses that to make you doubt the goodness of God. He says, God has no right to deny you that. He says, God is unfair. He says to you, God delights in your suffering. He says, God is too restrictive. How does Jesus respond? Look at verse 4, Matthew 4, verse 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, the idea here is not that Bible study is better than having breakfast. See, here's the key. Honoring God by doing what he has instructed in the Bible is better than sinful, instant, physical gratification. That's the key. Honoring God is better than sin. See, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 to 3, and it says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So one commentator says this about this verse. He says, Jesus uses this Old Testament text to showcase that he understood that his experience in the wilderness was God's will for him at that time. And to evade that would be to call into question God's priorities and to set himself at odds with the Father's plan. And as God's son, he had to come and humble himself. Jesus must trustingly and obediently comply with the Father's purpose. You see, Jesus says this to the devil, my fasting was to show that I'm the new and better Israel. My fasting was to humble me. My fasting was to display my obedience and dependence to God. 
But if I turned these stones into loaves, I'd be exalting myself. I'd be bringing attention to myself. I'd be displaying pomp, majesty, and miraculous power. I'd be announcing myself as the magnificent one, the glorious one, the splendid one. So listen here, devil. No, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the Lord. So Jesus takes this temptation, he spins it around and he throws it back at the devil and says, man does not live by yielding to their physical desires, but by trusting in God and obeying his commandments. Man does not live by yielding to drugs and alcohol and food and pornography, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man does not live by by dissatisfaction, by gossip, by money, by greed, by pride and complaining, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man does not live by foul speech, by pride, by cheating, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Honoring God by doing what God has instructed in the Bible is better than yielding to instant sin and instant satisfaction of sin. Obeying God is better than quick relief. Obeying God is better than yielding to sin. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, things may be hard. Following God may seem unnecessary and difficult. But honoring God is better than sinful instant gratification. What did Israel do when they were in in the wilderness? They looked at the immediate situation and forgot the promise of God. They forgot about the character of God. They impugned on the character of God. Their sinfulness made them to charge God of being evil. But what did Jesus do? He remembered the word of God. He remembered that the way to glory is through suffering. He did not take a shortcut to glory. And Jesus is our triumphant savior. Because when he was tempted to shake, to take a shortcut to glory, he remained steadfast on the principles of God. When he was tempted to question the ways of God, he entrusted himself to the plan of God. When he was made to feel like he was getting an unfair treatment, he knew that his glory was coming. When he was tempted to go for an instant fix, he remained strong and honored God. And when he was tempted to doubt the goodness of God in the midst of difficult circumstances, he recited the word of God and trusted the promises of God. Jesus is our triumphant savior, the true son of God. He is attested by his triumph over temptation. And sin. The first foundational principle in fighting temptation is to realize that obeying God in doing, in, in doing his word is better than instant temporary pleasure of sin. Now, let's turn to the next temptation to see how Jesus triumphed. Look at verse 5 to 7. Then, The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, 
throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, the the devil failed in the first temptation. But he does not give up. Friends, observe how Jesus has been using scripture to fight the devil. You see, in the first temptation, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8. And now the devil notices this. And he says, you, you love the Bible, huh? You like the Bible? Well, let me quote a verse for you. Take this. And the devil twists scripture to attempt to test the Son of God. See, the devil quotes Psalm 91. It says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You see, the devil quotes a Bible verse, but he misapplies it. And you see, he will go for any trick to tempt you and to cause you to sin against God. He'll even go to the Holy Scriptures and quote the Scriptures and twist them and misapply them. So you would use the Scripture as the foundation for your sin. You see, the devil says to Jesus, he says, fly. The Scriptures say that you won't fall. What is the temptation here? What is this temptation? It is this. Deliberately put yourself in a dangerous situation and then demand God's assistance. This is what the devil was tempting Jesus of. Well, let me put it in another way. Act as if God exists to serve you. And this is the temptation. Force God's hand. The devil says, fly, Jesus. God has to protect you. He has no choice. You are the son of God. How does Jesus respond to this? Look at verse 7. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. See, Jesus responds by a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 6, see, which speaks about a situation where the, the Israelites made a trial of Jehovah at a place called Massa and Meribah. And they rebelled against Moses because of lack of water. See, they accused Moses and God of cruelty, having brought them to the desert to destroy them. See, the Israelites challenged God and said, Is Jehovah among us or not? Psalm 95 gives us some more commentary on this. It says, Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. You see, Israelites, the Israelites should have been the last people to question if God was for them. You see, these were the last people to question if God's favor was upon them. They survived the plagues, the Passover, the crossing at the Red Sea. They had the Shekinah glory protecting them by day and by night. 
They saw Moses turn bitter water into sweet water. They dwelt in the areas of springs, pools, and palm trees. They saw victory in battle. But they still grumbled and complained and moaned during all of this. And in Exodus 7, they threatened to stone Moses. And they asked this dangerous question, is Jehovah among us or not? So Jesus responds, do not test God. See, the meaning here is, do not behave as if God exists to save you. See, God is not your, just someone you can call so casually. Have reverence for God. Never twist scripture to demand what God has not promised. You see, the devil quotes scripture, but he misapplied it. God has never made a promise to catch people jumping off buildings. See, in other words, never do foolish things and expect God's protection. Don't dare God. Don't give God an ultimatum. Don't challenge God. Don't make yourself God's boss. Don't test God. Do not deliberately push yourself in a foolish or a dangerous situation and then expect God's protection. What are some ways that we do this in our lives? See, when you make a hasty decision to quit your job without a plan, when you rush into a relationship or a marriage with an unbeliever, when you neglect your physical health, when you're not resting enough, not sleeping enough, when you're neglecting your spiritual health, when you are unwise with how you spend your money, when you are heavily indebted. You see, when you pray for God to give you obedient children, but you fail to raise them in the ways of the Lord. When you pray for spiritual maturity and spiritual growth, but then you neglect the normal means of grace, like meeting with other believers, church attendance, and attending GCs, and interacting with other mature members in the church. When you neglect Bible intake, when you neglect fellowship and prayer. See, when you don't have boundaries in your relationship, but you expect to remain pure, don't test God. Don't deliberately put yourself in a foolish situation and then expect God's protection. This is how Jesus responds to the devil. As the devil dares him and says, fly, Jesus. And Jesus says, no. Do not test God. God has not promised me to engage in such foolishness. This next temptation shows the devil's final temptation and a glimpse into the evil nature of Satan to want to be God. Let's look at this third round of temptations. Again, verse 8 to 10, Matthew chapter 4. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I want to give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, 
Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You see, from the mountaintop, Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. Perhaps you, are, you ask, how did this happen? Well, it could have been in a vision. But the, the truth is here. The devil shows Jesus all, all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor, as the Bible tells us. You see, the devil could have shown him the entire Roman Empire. The devil could have shown Jesus the Han dynasty in China. Or he could have uh, gone into the future and look at Africa and all its kingdoms. The devil could have taken Jesus and shown him the Sutu kingdom, the Swazi kingdom, the Zulu kingdom, the Botswana kingdom. You see, they could have gone to our time today and look at the superpowers. And he could have shown him Russia, USA, Great Britain, Europe. See, the devil then looks at Jesus and says, all this wealth is yours. Just for one gesture, bend the knee. Bend the knee. It's a small gesture, Jesus. It, 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 it's a small thing. Bend the knee. Come, Jesus. I want to make you king of kings now. Right now, I give it to you, Jesus. King of kings. See, the gist of the temptation is this. The devil was tempting Jesus to say, obtain the crown without enduring the cross. Go straight to glory. Forget about the cross. Claim your kingdom at once. How does Jesus respond? Get out here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So here's the first thing. It's vital. It's important to remember that the devil cannot give what he promises. See, he doesn't have the character nor the means to fulfill his promises. Jesus takes charge. The, the, the battle is over now. And he responds by scripture again. Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 613. I will serve my father. This is what he says. I will endure the cross. I will worship my God. And my exaltation will come. But now take this, devil. See, even though Jesus spoke these words in the future, they reveal what has always been in his heart. As the devil tempts Jesus to go and bypass the cross and go to glory at once, Jesus responds in this way. Be gone. And look at what was in his heart. John six thirty eight. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Luke 9, 22, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man came not only to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Be gone, Satan. I have come to endure the cross so I can secure salvation for sinners and my exaltation will come. Brothers and sisters, this is how Jesus fights the devil. 
Now, how can we fight temptation here as a church here at Living Hope? First, you must be born again. You can only conquer sin that is forgiven. You must be born again. Number two, give temptation and sin its real name. Call sin what it is so you can see its ugliness. Fight sin together. Sin grows stronger in its secrecy. Talk to your elders. Talk to your GC leaders. Talk to brothers and sisters who are mature in the church. Don't neglect the normal means of grace. Don't neglect Bible intake in your life. Don't neglect fellowship. Don't neglect attending church. Don't neglect prayer. We also fight sin graciously. You see, you must have the grace to realize that someone's sin is not over for them. And so if you are one who is helping other people with their sin, fight sin graciously. And then we also fight sin aggressively. We want to wage war at sin. We're not playing with it. And then we fight sin, hopefully. Remembering that we are empowered to conquer sin through Christ. Titus 2.11 The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to everyone. And it instructs us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live sensible, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Remember, Fight like Jesus fights. Depend on God's word. Remember your defenses. Honoring God by doing what God has instructed is better than sinful gratification. Do not behave as if God exists to serve you. And God alone is worthy of worship and service. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that we would apply your word in our lives, that we would fight sin, that we would depend upon the work of Jesus Christ, that we would use these defenses to realize that you have given us the power to fight forgiven sin. And we ask that we would grow and we would mature and we would live lives that honor you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.